0: Welcome to the family with.
1: Tech support, Alex Brantford-Reston. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Co-host, Catherine Brant at last.
0: And Andy Brant Bernard. We'll be right back. Kick things off. Rick Prado will be our special guest. His book, Black Ops: The Life of a CIA Shadow Warrior. Ooh. Rick Prado, our guest up
2: next with the family.
0: Michael Bryant, Brad Sean. Bryant, what's the latest?
2: By the way, for the first time ever, Coon Rapids Nissan was number one in the state and Burnsville was number two. Your Altima was actually one of the cars that put JLo on top.
0: To learn more about short term leasing, stop into Burnsville Nissan or Coon Rapids Nissan. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Alex has let me know when Mr. Prado is ready to go.
1: He's on. He's He's on. Marvelous.
0: The book, Black Ops, The Life of a CIA Shadow Warrior, a memoir by the highest ranking covert warrior to lift the veil of secrecy and offer a glimpse into the shadow wars that America has fought since the Vietnam era. Enrique Rick Prado. How you doing, Rick? You damn right. It's Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a great pleasure. Could we get uh, turn them up just yeah, a little bit? Turn him yeah, turn up. Thank you, my dear. How's that? That's my daughter. I'm calling my dear. By the way, Rick, I wanted to make sure you understood that. <laughs> it's a family deal. My I call wife. My daughter, dear, too. So yeah. Yeah. There you go. Our son, my wife, our son, our daughter, and I do the show together. Love doing it. That's why it's called the Family Podcast. I cannot wait to just sit back and listen to what you have to say. My God, it's just, I don't know if you remember Vince Flynn, the author. He wrote, God, about 10, 12, 15 bestsellers. Vince was a very, very good friend. Unfortunately, lost him at a very young age. And he's the one that got me all worked up about black, black ops. It's his fault, Rick. I just want to tell you.
3: Well, you know, I, I actually got to meet him. Um, he was very close to a friend of mine uh, uh, from the agency who actually helped him along with, with his books. And yeah. uh, we had lunch yeah. together at Blackwater some years ago. And yes, I know that he uh, passed away a few years back. Uh, hell of a nice guy. I really had a pleasure <laughs> of meeting him and I had read several of his books.
0: Yeah, great guy. Really, really nice man. Although uh, one thing before I move on, Rick, I will tell you, he always put his friends' names in his b- books. And when he got around to mine, my, my, my full name is Tom Barnard. And we have a friend, a, a pair of friends named Tino and Michelle Lettieri. They're very close friends. So when I got to appear in one of his books, my name was Michelle Bernard, Not Michelle as in Michael, but <laughs> Michelle is, uh, he, he, he made me a woman in his book.
1: What's wrong, with that? <laughs> What's wrong yeah. with that? It's a compliment.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> well, I, uh, I, I enjoyed his
3: uh, books, even though that they were fiction. fiction.
0: Yeah. Yep.
3: And the one thing that I can uh, guarantee you, that uh, what you will read in Black Ops will be real CIA operations done by real CIA operatives. You know, the impetus for me writing the book was how my, my agency is maligned. We're always described as immoral, treacherous, maniacal assassins like Jason what? Warren with 15 <laughs> personalities. Uh, and, and nothing could be further from the truth. Right. You know, my, my agency colleagues have put their lives on the line for a very ungrateful mistress that you cannot even advertise your successes. So we have 137 stars on the CIA wall of people who have given their lives up for God and country and to... To, to honor them in their in their just you know recognition is what i i try to do with this book so it, it is and i so people can see the different operations that i did and some of my colleagues did and how we really work very exciting there's gunplay there's uh, accidents there's you know rescues in and uh enemies waters all that stuff is in there uh, and by the way, my book is fully cleared by the CIA. It took them six months of uh, scrutiny, and and uh, I am pleasantly surprised about what they allowed me to talk about, and I think that part of that was because they understood my purpose for writing the book.
0: Oh, I understand it completely. I, I have to read this one paragraph to the listeners, Rick, because it's, it's pretty amazing. Enrique Prado found himself in his first firefight at age seven. The son of a middle-class Cuban family caught in the midst of the Castro Revolution. His family fled their war-torn home for the hope of a better life in America 50 years later. The Cuban refugee retired from the Central Intelligence Agency as the CIA equivalent of a two-star general. Black Ops is the story of Rick's legendary career that spanned two eras, the Cold War and the age of terrorism. Operating in the shadows, Rick and his fellow CIA officers fought a little seen and virtually unknown war to keep USA safe from those who would do it harm. I will tell you, uh, Mr. Prado, uh, Catherine and I went to Cuba, what was that, about four years ago, Catherine?
1: Yep.
0: Went to Cuba four years ago. Could not have been a better time. The people could not have been friendlier. Very, very nice. They like to eat chicken. I did notice that, Rick. They like. They eat a lot of chicken It's in one Cuba. of the only
1: proteins they get. Exactly.
0: <laughs> it is exactly, you're exactly right. That
3: is exactly right. Yeah.
0: But we loved yeah. it. We yeah, absolutely they, loved
3: they, it. They, the, we, the Cuban people have a... Uh, a very uh, good attitude in spite of the misery mm-hmm. that they live in. You know, um, yes, I was seven years old when the revolution first hit my town, and my, ta- my town was hit three times because we were at the foothills of uh, the uh, mountains where Che Guevara was in.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And, you know, seeing what they did to my parents, what they did to uh, to the opposition of uh, people hanging from trees, mm-hmm. um, it, it, was, it was something that... Uh, uh, and that, that was the seed planted for me to fight terror uh, uh, communism uh, in five different incarnations.
0: So, You know, I can ask you, Mr. Prado, a question, because we're talking about uh, Cuba now. Um, we're looking a lot, uh, very closely at Russia, and yet you have all these Americans, uh, mostly college students, that think communism is just a wonderful thing. Why don't they pay attention and realize communism just does not work for the people?
3: That is one of my greatest pet peeves, and, and, and I always tell people that socialism is the mask that communism wears to yep. wear you into their trap.
1: <laughs> and, the,
3: and the promise is the promise of everybody will be equal, and they're they're right. Everybody is equally miserable, equally oppressed, equally abused, yep. and only the leaders get to have uh, you know the uh, the the benefits. There's, there's a there's a joke in Cuba that if you see a house with a fresh coat
0: of paint, that's a senior party member. Oh, yeah. Oh, you got that right. There's no paint on most of the buildings. People need to understand that. Unfortunately, the architecture is absolutely beautiful, but it's not being taken care of at all.
1: No, there's no Home Depots down there.
0: <laughs> that's true. There's no Home Depot. No. That's kind of sad, though, because the architecture, Rick, is gorgeous. Uh, but they they just, they just don't care. As I recall, I,
3: it's funny, I remember a lot of it. Yes, yes.
0: So is that what drove you? Just watching is—I mean, it's know, seven- the, 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 go ahead, sir.
3: Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think that it was, uh, you know, seeing what I saw as a, uh, in my early age. You know, the, the violence of war, um, the excitement of, of seeing things as a little kid. To you, as a TV show, you know, right? Um, but then, you know, coming to this country, uh, I came to the United States by myself because my parents at first could not get out, and I ended up Ooh. in an orphanage. In Pueblo, Colorado, I turned 11 in the orphanage. You know, the orphanage uh, was very strict, and there was a lot of fighting, and there was a a multitude of cultures in there. Uh, um, And it was a pretty hard eight months, but I think I came out the better for it because I was very independent. I learned a a lot of English for just eight months. And I think the combination of those two events uh, really steeled me Forged my medal, for lack of a better word, to prepare me for what my path was was to be and, 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 and that I took on with, with honor. Uh, I went into uh, Air Force pararescue uh, and when I was 20 years old. Uh, pararescue is one of the elite units in our Special Operations Forces uh, community. And I did a few years with them and uh, <laughs> tried to get into the CIA once or twice. And the second time they called me. And as lucky as I'm always at, um have been. They called me because the Sandinista regime had turned communist, and Reagan had said, I want a covert action program. And so I was a native Spanish guy that could go to the camps and not show, you know, no show at the American hand. I was there as a Honduran major. And that the incredible part about that experience was because I saw what that octopus that's called communism did to my first country and to my family. Mm-hmm. And now, at, at the age of 30, I, I am helping fight that that, 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 uh, that octopus. And as a matter of fact, there's three really sexy operations during that time, where I was very <laughs> proud of the fact that some of the tentacles were cut, cut off. So, uh, and you know, the rewarding part of it, besides the successes, was the people. I would sit every night, grab a cup of coffee, and sit down with different countries. And men and and women, they had women in their fighting also. And every time I would ask them, why are you here? Tom, not once did anybody say, well, you know, I read Marx and Lenin, and I don't agree with that philosophy. No. (laughs) It was, they raped my daughter. They beat up my priest. They uh, forcibly conscripted my 15-year-old son. It was all personal, and it was all personal for me also, because I was too young to fight it the first time around, uh, and that was my first incarnation. Like I said, I've done, I have had assignments for two years each time, five different times uh, going after after communism.
0: You know, it's so amazing, because if, if people go down to Cuba and meet the Cuban people, they could not be friendlier, yet there's a... A certain understanding, you also don't want to cause much trouble in Cuba. They're very, very strong people, very loyal people. Uh, and again, they're incredibly friendly, but you got a tough side to you. Cubans have a tough side to you that I just really admire. Well,
3: thank you. That's a hell of a compliment. Thank
0: you, Tom. Well, it is true. I mean, it's just... Oh, well, one other thing i, I got to mention. I'm a, I, I a, unfortunately a, have that. You have what?
3: I said, unfortunately, I, 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 have never, I haven't been back to Cuba. And definitely with my career, I, I certainly cannot go back because they know who I am, no. <laughs> especially now. And, um, and, and they would def, definitely have vendettas to, to settle. So, um, as much as I would love to go back and see my first house and where my dad's horses were and, and everything else, um, uh, it will have to wait a few years. I hope that there, there's a, a real change over there, not the cosmetic ones I've been having for 60 years.
0: No, that would be nice. If you ever do get to go back, make sure you go to the Tropicana. You got to go to the Tropicana, Rick. I'm just telling you. It's well worth it.
3: Well, here, here's, here's one for you. They, they, one of the photographs in the book, it was my parents took me to the Tropicana for the last oh, night that I God. was in Cuba. Really? And the next morning, I was put on a plane. and it, Yeah, and there's a photo. It's me, uh, my parents, my aunt and uncle, and my cousin. And we're sitting there and, and I'm the only idiot smiling. Everybody's got somber faces. And I'm I'm smiling. I just I still can't figure that one out. But yeah, I I would love to go to uh to back to the Tropicana and reconcile enough in a in a kid's mind, you know, uh what is it, what it's like now.
0: Yeah. And I Rick, you've been carrying that with you now for, for all these years because seven-year-olds have, have developed enough that they understand what's going on. You as a seven-year-old knew what was happening. You knew it was time to go. Yeah, you were youthful. You go to the Tropicana. You're having a great time. But but you still knew what was happening. And looking back on that, you've had, well, at least two lives at this point. And it made you a very tough guy, don't you think?
3: I think it still me. I think that it gave me the ability to uh, to work under pressure, uh, and and but the, what it really gave me, Tom, that the thing that it gave me the most was purpose. Right. You know, in in my business, right. if you don't have a purpose, you will not do well because you really, really have to believe that what you're doing is for God and country. Uh, what you know, what we put our families through, the the secrecy of our, you know. Be working in, in all these places, my wife didn't know what I was doing. She knew that I worked for the agency. She knew I was doing maybe terrorism or counterinsurgency or whatever it was. But the details of what I did day to day, especially night to night, because most of our work is done after, after hours, um, my, wife, my wife will hear about what I did when she reads the book.
0: Really? So she'll know for the first time? Yes, sir, and so will my kids. God, that's what an amazing story! The book again is called "Black Ops: The Life of a CIA Shadow Warrior." Rick Prado, P-R-A-D-O, the author is on with us. Uh, I have to read another segment. I tell you what, the descriptor that was we'll sent along with your book is a terrific uh, descriptor. After duty stations in Central South America and the Philippines, Black Ops follows Rick into the highest echelons of the CIA's headquarters at Langley, Virginia. In the late nineteen ninety five, in late nineteen ninety five, he became deputy chief station. And co-founding member of the Bin Laden Task Force. How was man, Rick? You got you got a lot of stuff under your belt, pal.
3: Well, there there's more like even that, but you know that one that I'm very proud of. That um, I was a branch chief in our counterterrorism center, and um, the uh, the chief of operations called me in. He said, "Look, we we're going to start a task force. We're going to call it a virtual station. So it's going to have a chief of station and a deputy chief of station." The deputy is going to be Mike Shorty, who was an analyst. He was not an ops guy. And I was the de- deputy chief of station. And I looked at uh, at my, my then boss, Jeff. I said, uh, so Jeff, so go, who are we after? He goes, Osama bin Laden. And I go, who? <laughs> and he goes, exactly. So uh, that was the scene. I mean, you figure there was two operations officers. I had an Arabic-speaking uh, case officer uh, working with me who was super, super sharp. And then we had... Uh, uh, several analysts. We had about eight or nine analysts, uh, seven of which were women. Uh, they're very good at this targeting stuff, and because they have the patience and they have the the depth and the intellect, I guess. But um, that those are the Plank owners. And, you know, sadly, there's 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 people from that a- era that are on that wall with 137 stars in my building. Uh, Jennifer Matthews, uh, who was killed and in cost in uh-huh. Afghanistan um was was a was, a, was a, she joined us very very early on and you know we lost her out there and we we've lost a uh, a lot of people out of the 137 stars that we have on our wall one third of them are post 911
0: a third of them are Really? So we are
3: in we're a small yes a third of those 137 are post 911 how on. many do you know very few people know, and that's what I wanted to. I, I want their their spirit to to be honored by the people that benefit from it, um, because they paid the ultimate price.
0: They did indeed. How, you know, I don't even want to ask you how many times, but I got to believe that you have you know looked death in the face many many times, whether it was sneaking up on you or it was right there in front of you. I mean, it's obviously quite a dangerous job. How how do you handle the danger part of it?
3: Well, and I would tell you, sometimes it me going in towards the, the danger, because that's, that's pretty much what we have to do. Right, right. Uh, again, yes, the, the, you know, I, I think that we all wired a certain way, uh, and, and, and God wanted us to do whatever it was he wired us for. And, and uh, But I honestly think that having a purpose, that's, you know, for for me, having a purpose for going into harm's way completely blocked the the, the, uh, the guilt of, well, if I get killed, my kids are going to be... No, if I get killed, my kids would be proud of what I was trying to do because I was trying to do it for them and the rest of the kids in the United States. So, you know, and, and the beauty of the book, Tom, is, is that it's not just about me. I include a lot of stories from some of my colleagues, uh, two women in particular who I adore because they were just incredible in their own ways. Um, it is that I was surrounded by the most, patriotic, professional, dedicated, selfless people that I've ever met in my life. And like I said, I was part of the Special Military for, for several years, and I still have great friends from there, but the quality of officers at the agency deserve a little better than being tagged Jason Boyd.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, they're trying to sell tickets there, aren't they, Rick? That's all that's about exactly. is selling, selling those tickets. Um I tell you I just I have so many questions for you about all of these things. Uh, when okay so you're 7 years old then you're 11 you're in Colorado at what point did you realize this it's not just something I'm interested in. It's not just something as a child I thought, well that'd be kind of cool to to go into the uh, to service and do this. And when did you know this is me? This is what I got to do and this is what I'm going to do?
3: Well, you know, you you hit it right on the nose, and I have the perfect uh, uh, episode for that. Um, I growing up because again, I was adventuristic and a little uh, high spirited and you know, testosterone laden sure. teenager. <laughs> yeah. um, I got really good. I got good grades in school, but I was always getting into fights and stuff like that, and, and getting in trouble because of it. And when I started college at Miami, was I think it was early. 71 or real late 70s. The hippies were going to take down the American flag the next day. They posted it. Tomorrow we're going to take down the flag and we're going to burn it. And I said, the hell we are. (laughs) So I called five of my homies from the old days and it was 20 20 hippies more or less, six of us. Trust me, it was not a fair fight for them. And um, within minutes, there were torn T-shirts and beads all over the place. But that American flag... Was waving in the air, in a blue sky, early in the year. It took my breath away because, for the first time in my life, I was proud of using my courage and my fortitude and a little bit of my violence for the right reasons. It gave me purpose. Six months later, I was in pararescue.
0: God, what a that's a good, another great Rick. This book has got to be fantastic. Your stories just on this show are right on the money. I, I just, so basically you're saying there was tie-dye and beads everywhere, huh?
3: Yeah, there was a, a, yeah, tie, tie-dye t-shirts torn and beads <laughs> everywhere and uh, people running in different directions but not towards us <laughs> anymore.
0: I, I, it still amazes me that <clears throat> somebody who was born in Cuba leaves at seven, uh, you know, at, at a young age, you love the flag more than they do, and they have no right whatsoever to not like the flag. Will people ever figure that out, you think, Rick? They have no business turning on their own country. They don't even know what they're talking about.
3: You're absolutely right, and I, and I have a theory about that. It is that they, we in the United States do not know how good we really have it. Right. We have nothing to compare it to. You, you know, the, the average American, when they say, oh, I've been to Mexico, I said no, you've been to Cancun, in the <laughs> fruit, and it's not Mexico. Right. You know, um, and, and so they, they have nothing to compare it with. The, the immigrants that come legally to this country, uh, especially those that are, that are fleeing communism and terrorism and those kind of isms, um, those, those people come here and all of a sudden they can breathe. Their children can go to school. Nobody's going to take away your business. Mm-hmm. Um, you're free to speak your mind, to practice your religion. And we take all that for granted, and it drives many of us insane because it's, it's, you see it day in and day out, people bad-mouthing <laughs> this country without really knowing. You know, I don't have a problem. If you want to be a communist, that's fine. Go to Cuba. Go to Russia. If you're, if you're a communist in Russia, more power to you. Yep. But don't try to be a communist in the United States.
0: Couldn't agree more. I got to take a quick break. About two minutes, Rick. You got another ten minutes, didn't you? Unfortunately, he has a hard out. Oh, you have at a 11:50. On 11:50, okay, we'll go three more minutes, then, Rick, because it, it, it says on my deal noon, but we'll, if you got to be, up I by just heard from Art. Okay, that that's fine, Rick. We can go three more minutes if you can. Would that be all right? Yeah. No, of course. I'm just having a great time talking to you because I you and I so far, well, I shouldn't say you and I, I agree with you on pretty much everything you've said so far. Uh, I will tell you, Rick very quickly. I grew up very, very poor in an inner city neighborhood, and I, I got out of there, got an education, uh, you know, started working hard. I've had a wonderful life, got a great family that I work with every day. I'm sorry, but America's wonderful to me. I love America. I don't want to live anywhere else. Why some people just, and the, what I love are the people out that live out there in the rich suburbs that don't like America. It's like, what? Oh, Art says you're good till noon now. Oh, could you Rick, you can stay till noon. That'd be okay with you, Rick? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no excellent. Problem. Let's take a very quick break, then we'll be right back. Uh, got another 10 minutes with Rick Prado. The book is called Black Ops, The Life of a CIA Shadow Warrior. Right back with Rick Prado right after this. Do they breathe easier with their business belt?
2: We
3: certainly hope so, Tommy. And that's no hot air.
0: Nice one. Why not bank with my banker? North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. The 2022 Bloomington Boat Show is here and going on now. Get out of the cold and into a 25,000 square foot heated showroom at Dan's Southside Marine. A huge inventory of boats means the best deals of the year. Over 60 boats on display from Premier. Avalon, Berkshire, Alumacraft, and more. Explore what's new for 2022 at the Bloomington Boat Show at Dan's Southside Marine. Six blocks west of 35W on 98th Street in Bloomington. Visit BloomingtonBoatShow.com. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, Rick Prado, our very, very special guest, great guest, as a matter of fact, Black Ops, The Life of a CIA Shadow Warrior. It's available on Amazon and everywhere, as a matter of fact, a memoir by the highest-ranking covert warrior to lift the veil of secrecy and offer a glimpse into the shadow wars that America has fought since the Vietnam era. Have we ever been out of war, Rick? Has it ever happened we've had nothing going on in the world?
3: No, I mean, I think that uh, the, the moments of peace um, are, are more from the civilians' uh, view, um, and that's the way it's supposed to be. Right. Um, we right. in the agency and our special military and other intelligence agencies within our, our, our government, or the, uh, the community, um, our fight is the daily fight. Um, you know, before, before the contrast of Vietnam and the, the Sandinista revolution that we that we toppled, because that was a very successful program, uh, lasted several years. But during that time, there was no declared war per se, but the Cold War was flaming hot. And we were working the Russians, or working the Chinese, and the Czechs, and whatever was out there. So, you know, for, for the folks that are at the pointy end of taking care of the country, um, peace is when you go home to your family. Yeah. Uh, when you walk into your church and say prayer, um, because your your job is is to fight the good fight. Uh, like Pablo Coelho, one of my favorite authors, um, fighting the good fight is what a warrior of the Light does. And that's what I would like to consider ourselves. And that is again, the reason that I, that I wrote the book was to give credit to those that that, that deserve that. You know, another commonality, when you, when you were talking a little while ago, when you were talking about how poor you grew, you, you, uh, grew up and, mm-hmm. and, and how what you made yourself, so, um, when we came to the United States, when, when Castro took over in 1959, my dad was a middle-class businessman, had a uh, coffee roasting company, a little oh. coffee roasting company, which was confiscated almost immediately. And we had my dad had a 57 Pontiac. Oh. We had a TV and a telephone in our house. And that was middle class. Oh, yeah. When we came to the United States for the first three to four years, we were definitely uh, under the poverty line. My mom worked in a sweatshop for over a decade. My dad never had less than two jobs, worked every Saturday that I can remember because he used to take me with him on Saturdays. So um, it's called the American dream. You pay the price of admission. You work hard this country allows you to do that and when you get things handed to you so easily so easily then you don't appreciate it. yeah you that's do not right. appreciate something unless you earn it usually earned it the hard way
0: you're 100 percent right by the way you just gave me a great memory we uh, when we were in cuba it was Catherine's birthday so we took her that's when we took her to uh I don't remember where we went. That night. did we go to Tropicana that night for your birthday? I don't know. But we were picked up. The reason I'm even bringing this up, Rick, is because we were picked up in a 1955 Pontiac convertible. My God, was that fun! The car. The cars down there are just amazing, Rick. Yeah,
3: but you know what's even more amazing, though, is that uh, there was a program uh, I think it was called Trading Chrome or something a few years back where they talked about all that. They spent like six episodes just uh, going to Cuba is those cars are are in great shape on the outside they look like yeah. what they are <laughs> but the inside they have engines and a lot of engines and yeah th- there was one in- uh, incident where the guy had this Oldsmobile, mobile and and uh, he had a boat engine that he had converted <laughs> uh, somehow that that ingenuity and, and that's what he drove around town
0: yeah. Oh God, it's just it's just wonderful driving down the highway in a 1955 Pontiac Converto with my lovely wife, going to the Tropicana. Great <laughs> memories, Rick. I'm telling you, they were great memories for me. There's no doubt about that. Yep. Are we doing?
3: Well, I, I hope that you could do it again under
0: a different regime. Yeah, yes, I I'd we'll... love that. I'll do it with you. We'll all go down together. That sounds good. Works for me. Um... That's a deal. Rick, it's it's pretty amazing that your parents, the job they did. Uh, do you have brothers and sisters, by the way?
3: No, I'm an only child. And, and you know, that's an excellent point to bring out, Tom, because Thanks. my dad had a seventh grade education. And, but he had a heart of a lion, and he was a pretty smart guy. When he saw what was happening, he said, I will not have my son, my only child, Grow up in, in a in this kind of regime, and because he couldn't get out, they put me on an airplane when I was ten years old to go to the United States. You know, when my oldest son turned ten, I looked at my wife and I said, "Do you think that I would have the fortitude to put Alex <laughs> to on an airplane to go to a country that I never have visited?" that I don't speak the language and that there's a very good chance that I will never be able to reunite with them. Oh. And the answer is a surrounding hell no.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right.
3: But my parents did that in, 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 the, in a program called Peter Pan, which was uh, by mm-hmm. the Catholic church mm-hmm. brought out 4,000 red products during wow. a two year period.
1: That's amazing.
0: It is quite the story. I, you have to be so proud of your parents. You got to be proud of yourself too, though. You, I mean, you you did it uh, coming here by yourself. Boy, that had here by that'd be yourself. terrifying at first, wasn't it, Rick? No, no. Uh, really? You know, my
3: dad brought me up to be the little man, and and okay. uh, you know, uh, I'm not going to say that I have some bad nights uh, at the orphanage because you sit there in bed and you know you're there for now for the third month, and yeah. there's other kids crying in bed. And, uh, you know, you get a little bit depressed and stuff. But, you know, my, my dad was a man of such incredible character. My dad was actually a cowboy before he married my mom. Oh. And he was the typical American cowboy, even though he was Cuban, you know. Um, he he taught me from very early, ride horses, shoot guns, defend yourself, stand up for your, for your faith, uh, stand up for your, your country. Um, my dad molded me early on. But, you know, you said about me being proud about myself. No, I'm not uh, ashamed of of my life, on the contrary. But, you know, I feel blessed because I was able to pay back a little bit. I've been doing this for 50 years, and I still don't think that I've paid this country back enough. And you have children, so you know that we tend to gauge our successes by that of our offspring. And I have three kids: a daughter who runs two charter schools, and two sons who are advancing in the U.S. military. Um, that's my real success.
0: That is a wonderful story, Rick. We're, we're lining this up. Soon as Cuba flips, <laughs> we're going to be riding around in a fifty-five <laughs> O's mobile convertible in Cuba, having a great time. We'll we'll take the families. It'll be wonderful. You got yourself. You're a good man, Rick. Thank <laughs> you, got, you so you much for your yourself. service. <laughs> it, it's an honor talking to you, sir, but seriously. Thank you, very much. Thank, you, thank you, Rick. Have a good day. Bye. Have a good day. Same to you, sir. Bye. Rick Prado, ladies and gentlemen, P R A D O The book is called Black Ops, The Life of a CIA Shadow Warrior. I, I love having people like him on because I this whole thing with, with Americans. Well, and it's not just Americans, a lot of places in the world, but America's where I live. So, you know. <laughs> oh, America sucks. It's terrible. Everybody's terrible, and everybody hates everybody else, and everybody. No, it's nowhere well, near as bad as most places.
1: Well, in the last month, <clears throat> I've talked to two um, Hispanic people that have moved here, immigrated here, and both of them said, "Well, what?" I'm not going to say what countries. I'm not going to say their names because I don't want anybody to get in right. trouble anywhere. Sure. Um, one of them, I said, "I'm, I'm learning to speak Spanish." He said. Why? I said, well, because I think you need it, especially in Florida. There's so many Spanish-speaking speak, people, and he says, he says, what do you? What do you well, well, still, I don't understand why. And I said, well, I think in another, you know, 15 years, probably that's going to be the dominant um, language in Florida. And he said, oh, if that happens, I'm moving out of this country. I said, why? He said, because I do not want to live in a in a in a Hispanic country. I said, well, what do you mean you're Hispanic? He said, because I don't, I don't want the corruption from my old country. I said, what, I said what happened? He said, oh, in my old country, if somebody wants you dead, you're just dead. The politicians have all the power. They just kill you. They don't like something you say. They just kill you. There's nothing you can do. He said, I'm not kidding. I'm not being dramatic. That's how it is. And another person that came from a different country Said the exact same thing. He said it's just so corrupt. You have to pay off everybody to get anything done. Everything is about the politicians getting paid off. Uh, so I mean, if people need to like tra- actually talk to people yeah, absolutely. that come from these situations to see what it's actually like it, when the politicians have all the power, they don't become wonderful gift-bearing sweet people they become power-hungry maniacs
0: and we're headed that way we really are you know
1: when he's talking about people fleeing cuba i'm like people are leaving states in america new york people are actually leaving states because nobody can come to a common ground we're we're preaching and teaching division and hatred of each other it's not a good thing
0: no it is not at all there's no question about that it was so. It's so great. So this kid comes, seven years old. He's in a in, a, in, a, in an outfit over there in Colorado, eleven years old. And this is a guy who's inspired by the love of his family and and apparently an instant love of this country to step up and serve. And he's been serving his whole life. And I love the fact that he pointed out, you know, pretty much exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And by the way, I know that one person you were talking with was from Peru, right? Yep. I knew it. I've heard him talk about it before. He just said, there is no way I'd ever go live it. Yeah,
1: I mean, but you still have to be careful because people that still live there, family members that still live there, somebody gets wind of somebody said something against, you know, you could be innocently talking about somebody and get someone killed. It's just
0: terrifying. It is. No, you're absolutely right. I just, I don't know. I was very, very impressed with that. And thanks to Art Sears for that. because Art does a great job lining up guests. There's no question about that, but he uh, he was terrific. I, yeah, I right, see. I just yeah. love hearing that. And I know there there are things to criticize about the president's address last night, but I just like the fact that he at least moved toward the center. Now he was told to move toward the center, which is okay with me. But we need to move to the center. Enough of this extreme left and extreme right crap. I'm sick to death well, of it.
1: That's what he said he was going to be when he ran.
0: <clears throat> yeah, he did. And
1: then as soon as he got elected, he went way left. And deleted everything that Trump did. That now he's saying that we need to do. No, I know. (laughs) I I just, I just want to tear my hair out with politicians. I really do. Well,
0: you guys have lived through it. I've been. They've been trying to cancel me twice now. They did destroy my voiceover career, and that was basically the TV stations and the newspapers in the state of Minnesota that did that. uh, Destroyed my voiceover career, and now there's a group of woke people trying to destroy my radio career. They just, and part of that it's is a fun the
1: fact, time to be alive. Well, I'm
0: just saying part of that is because I grew up very, very poor. I never finished high school. I went to college for one day and I still succeeded. And they do not like that at all. I'm a horrible example well, for the children of America.
1: If you can't advance their agenda, then you're useless to them.
0: <clears throat> yeah, that's exactly right. And, I'm a, and again, I'm a terrible example to their children because I didn't do any of the things they said you have to do to succeed. None of them. They don't like that. I don't like that at all. What do you think of that, Andy? Uh, I think you're right.
4: I mean, I've spoken many times against those kind of people.
0: No, you have. No, I know you. Well, that's why I asked you. I asked you to speak on it because you've talked about the cancel crowd anyway.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And why I, I don't understand how you can be either uh, far right or far left because you're supposed to be very, very woke on, to, on the on the left and very kind of religious. it's Not really religious, but kind of. Religious ethics on the right And yet those are the people that destroy everybody else So what am I missing here? You're supposed to be the best at it Not the worst at it You two sides, far left and far right You're the worst people in America how, how do you think that you have all the answers When you're a terrible human being? What do you think?
4: I don't think they do think they have the answers I think they just want to exert power over others
0: So that it's a power issue more than anything
4: else Yep I, I mean, mean there, it's no coincidence that most of the people who are super far left, super woke, super progressive right now, 20, 30 years ago, they were the ones who were on the opposite side. It's because that was the most effective way to bully people back then. Yeah, and true. And now yep. being progressive is the most effective way to bully people right now. So That's true. So they just uh, pretend to believe whatever is most convenient so that they can hurt other people, basically.
0: That's true. Alex, what do you think of all this?
1: it's hard to just have one opinion i don't know
0: <clears throat> what do you mean have one opinion you can have your opinion
1: i pass
0: oh god you coward coward alex
1: that's me. Maybe she just disagrees <laughs> with you and doesn't want you to know it.
0: I, it has nothing to do with agreeing or disagreeing. She loves ta- canceling people. I'm talking about. I love canceling people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've, I've never seen you do it, but I'm sure you're really good at it. But Constantly uh, canceling people. Yeah, I just, just leave people alone is all, you know, unless they're the bad. Here's what I like. You bust your ass, but we're going to cancel you. But somebody who goes down the street shooting people, we're going to protect them and uh, just release them from custody without bail. The horrible people are being treated very well, and the good people are being treated very poorly. Is that is that a digital thing? What is that? Is this, is that just stupidity? What do you think?
4: I think it's the, how humans are. Have yeah. they always been? Humans are just, you know, God, fundamentally evil.
0: <laughs> <laughs> humans that's are
4: fundamentally evil. Well, that's pretty much what every religion in the history of the world has taught. Humans are evil, and you have to temper your evilness. Yeah, I suppose. It's, it's I mean, true. it's not untrue, honestly. If you just. Uh, well, we are animals. Yeah, exactly. If you took a newborn and put them in the jungle and had them somehow survive in the jungle, they're going to grow up to be very selfish, very, you know, they'll do no, anything to survive. they'll
1: grow up to be friends with a friendly bear. Yeah,
4: exactly. Yeah. It's very yeah, realistic. We have realistic. a little
1: friendly rivalry with they'll, a tiger. understand yeah. the
4: bare necessities.
1: There will be a weird <laughs> snake that can <laughs> put you in a trance.
2: Winnie
0: the Pooh I mean, snake? Come on,
1: it's <clears throat> it's tail as old as time, Andy. Yeah.
0: Someday I do want to go to Cuba with, with you and Andy and your families. I, I would love to go back to Cuba with the kids. Wouldn't you, Catherine?
1: Uh, now, after seeing the poverty and the... yeah. Um, just how they live i would lo- love to see it on an upswing yes that would be good yes that'd be
0: nice yes russian foreign minister sergey lavrov warned today that their uh, world uh, there were world war three that were world war three to begin it would involve nuclear weapons reports reuters a few days earlier vladimir putin announced he was putting the nation's nuclear deterrent forces on high alert right. suggesting he was transitioning the country's nukes to a higher level of readiness So what are the chances we get to the point where Russia actually dips into its nuclear stockpile? It's a question that's been asked and debated in recent weeks. The stockpile itself, the BBC, looks at what Russia has, uh, 6,000 nuclear warheads. That's enough, isn't it? 6,000?
1: Probably enough.
0: I would imagine. Though roughly 1,500 have been retired and earmarked for disposal, the remaining 4,500 aren't ready for action, all of them anyway. It's thought about 1,500 are deployed on a sub at sea, or at a Ooh, um, missile or bomb uh, bomber bases,
1: Fabulous.
0: parsing's great. Putin words, as the uh, at the Guardian, Kristen van Brusgaard. Uh, observes that despite what Putin said on Sunday, Russia's nuclear arsenal remains on a certain level of readiness even during peacetime, and the U.S. hasn't detected any signs that warheads are being moved. So if little has changed, why did Putin signal a move was being made? Yeah, so why did he do that? Does anybody understand why he said, let's get ready?
1: He's either posturing. I think Wendy, Wendy might. He's either posturing or he's serious, one or the other.
0: Why don't we take a break here and come back, and Wendy can certainly talk about that. That would be perfect. We'll have Wendy on the phone.
2: Wendy's on the phone.
0: Okay, we'll be right back in a couple of minutes with a Wendy, Wendy, Wendy.